So what we're going to get to today is this idea is that you can't and you never could, but God can and you said he would. He actually always said he would, but I just like keeping a little short, leave one word out. But you can't and you never could, and God can, and he said he would. I heard it from a really good preacher uh, that was preaching one time. He said this exact phrase, and it just popped into my mind whenever I was reading Galatians 4, is that you can't and you never could, but God can, and he said he would. So uh, Galatians 1, we find Paul doing something. He's hearing about a different gospel that's being preached to the Galatian church. Some people had come in, and they had some new things to add to the gospel, and uh, they were either adding to it, maybe they were subtracting from it, maybe they were dividing it just a bit, or maybe they were multiplying, I don't know, but they were doing something to the gospel of Christ, and it made Paul really upset. And that should be the same thing today. The gospel's simple, y'all. Anyone that adds to it, subtracts from it, divides it, or tries to multiply in any way, shape, or form, they're not giving you the gospel. They're giving you their own version. And there's a lot of reasons that we might want to do that. We could do it in our own life. Someone might try to do it as a leader of a church. They're going to do it for different reasons. A lot of times it's manipulation, either trying to manipulate God or someone's trying to manipulate you. Don't let them add, subtract, multiply, or divide the word of God. Galatians 1, Paul's kind of mad about it, and he's like, hey, what's going on, guys? He actually defends it in Galatians 2, not only the view of the gospel, but how it relates to grace versus keeping the law of Moses. So we find out that the gospel is being added to with the law of Moses, which you would think wouldn't be a bad thing. That's the Old Testament. But you had these Jews that were coming in from Jerusalem, and they were Christians, and they were like, whoa, hold on, Paul, Titus, a few of you others, um, these Gentiles are not keeping the law of Moses. That's a bad thing. They need to begin keeping it. So Jewish Christians, they wanted to see these Gentiles keeping the law of Moses. They even wanted Titus, grown man, to be circumcised. And I could see where Titus comes to Paul. He's like, Paul, hold on one second. I've been walking with you for a while. We've been sharing the gospel. And I could think that maybe Titus would be a little bit mature and be like, I'll do it if you say I have to, right? Like maybe looking straight at Paul in the eyes and being like, Paul, it's all on you. You tell me if circumcision is required or not because you're hearing from God too. And these Jewish people are wanting me to do it. The Jewish Christians, is it required? And Paul kind of is just blown away, like, we've settled this. Like, this was settled way back in Acts. I'm going to jump ahead of myself. I'm not going to do that. Hold on. So Paul pointed out that he was preaching the true gospel and that it had been approved already. What Titus and Paul and others were doing in preaching the gospel with Paul, Paul had already gone to Jerusalem, shared what he was sharing as the gospel, and the, the Jerusalem church said, yes, Peter, yes, James, yes, Paul, you're doing great. And Paul kind of even talks in Galatians 2, and he's like, that's not really... It's not really a requirement for me to tell you that I've been approved by this church in Jerusalem. Like, I could actually care less what you think about their approval. But I'm just letting you know, since this is on the table and it's the Jewish Christians from Jerusalem that have this big issue and are kind of attacking me, I've already been approved with the gospel I'm bringing. So he does that in Galatians 2. And uh, he even says, Peter knows better. Because in Acts, there was a moment where Peter's praying, uh, kind of goes in this vision, he's asleep, whatever, has a vision from God, and this, this sheet of just every animal imaginable, whether it's good or bad or indifferent for him, his Jewish tradition said, you can't eat most of it, and God looks down and says, Peter, feel free, eat any of it. And Peter's like, well, I would never taint myself and my Jewishness to eat this, God. You know, I don't want to break the law. And, and Jesus is like, no, Peter, don't worry about that. He does it again, and, and Peter's like, no, no, no. And, and, and P- Jesus is like, Peter, don't worry about it. And then he says, by the way, there's some Gentiles coming to you, 
and they're going to be asking about the gospel, and it's okay that you go to their home, because normally you wouldn't do that as a Jew if you're following tradition. And so Paul is like, Peter's already been through this, and he's already told you, Peter, the big guy, right, that everyone's kind of looking to in Jerusalem, he's already told you guys that this is okay, that it's okay not to follow this law in that way, and that it doesn't save you, it does nothing. But yet you're still trying to drag these people back into it. So anyways, uh, Galatians chapter 2, verses 18 through 17, there's this, is that they kind of come to Paul and they're like kind of blaming him for calling Christ this minister of sin. Could you imagine uh, Paul and everything that he's been doing to share the gospel, being approved, and now they're saying, and, and knowing what Peter's been through and the decisions that have already kind of been made at the church, what we learn about in Acts, that they would say that Paul is calling Jesus a minister of sin because Jesus is saying it's okay to break the law of Moses. And obviously that makes you a sinner. And, and Paul's like, whoa, 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 no. That is not what I'm saying, and that is not true at all. And so he says, uh, actually, here's an idea um, he gets into. He says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, listen, don't you remember this? My old self, that one, I was a Jew of Jews. My old self that I've been crucified with Christ, and I am no longer the one who lives. I don't do anything good. Kind of that idea from Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Actually, here, I'm not even using my little things. I can let you read it. Do, do, do. All right, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, uh, he says, It is no longer I that am living, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and he gave himself for me. So the way that I'm living right now in my body is not trusting in what we're going to learn is this law. It's trusting in the Son of God. And he's really building up his case here because he's about to make some pretty good statements, all right? So, uh, and then we've got, uh, I'll jump past this one, there we go. In Galatians chapter 3, he says, hey listen, the law was and is necessary. There is good things about the law. So I'm not saying just completely disregard the law. It's got its point, it's got its need. He actually lays out that uh, it makes it clear that the law is unable to be followed. That's why it's so necessary. Because if you really look at it, it's unable to be followed. Actually, here's one from Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. Cursed is anyone who does not affirm and obey the terms of these instructions, the law, and all the people, after this whole law is given, should reply, because that's the law, amen, we agree. So every single bit of the law has to be followed. If you're going to follow any of it, and to break one little part of it, you broke it all. And you have to agree to it. And that's what the people had to agree with. That was the law to agree with it. So to not agree with it would ultimately be breaking the law. But then all of a sudden, to lie would be breaking the law. To have a bad piece of whatever, meat, would be breaking the law. To eat honey, even though you're starving from the carcass of an animal like Samson, is breaking the law. Now you've got to go and you've got to worship or get cleansed in this way. But you've still broken the law. And so to break from the law makes you cursed. And so Paul's like, do you guys see that it's impossible? So anyways, we'll move on. You'll see this. Paul does this in uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. He says, let me put it another way. The law was a guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. Now, that's the New Living Translation's way of taking the word of a tutor. 
And so uh, new, like the King James Version says it was a tutor. It kind of instructed us in this way. And uh, the Greek word for that, that word that was translated tutor in the King James Version is not the best translation because to be a tutor is kind of like, a, oh, you know, here, I'm going to instruct you in the right way to go, where a guardian has more of authority to say, now you get disciplined and you're going to live under the discipline and the rule of what you should be doing. And that's what the law was. There was a discipline and a rule with this is the way that you as someone that's following God needs to live in order to be essentially justified by God. But we know that it's impossible to live that way. So this guardian is constantly correcting. And now I've got to ask you the question, do you ever feel like whenever you read the word of God, there are moments where you are constantly being corrected? Have you ever had it where you were, maybe you're the parent, or maybe you had a parent where you just couldn't do enough, you were constantly being corrected? It happens. Maybe you've got a boss and you're constantly being corrected, or you're a boss and you constantly need to correct. You know what it's like. There's got to be that because human nature is in a constant need for correction. It just is. We're constantly going to break the law. Um, So to expect a perfect co-worker, worker, perfect spouse, perfect kid, not going to happen because even you are not that. You are constantly going to break the law. So Paul says this, like I said in verse 24, and uh, he ultimately is like, hey, okay, so obviously this guardian allows for us to worship God, right? We can be made right with God through faith. In the book of Leviticus, if you messed up, you learned how to become right with God, but it was through sacrifices, And so that book of Leviticus was the best book to read, especially as a Jew, because it told you that when you messed up, this is how now you get to be back in kind of that relationship or the good grace of God. But still, the law was impossible to keep. Jesus, however, changes all of that. And that's why in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, we get to this. And now, Paul says this, now that you belong to Christ, you are true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. And now we kind of hit this point where it's like we're going to find out way more about this promise to Abraham and what that looked like. And that's where Galatians chapter 4, when we're going to, we're going to pick up here, and that's, I just couldn't, I couldn't miss Galatians 1, 2, and 3, you know? You just can't start reading Galatians 4 without knowing all that. So Galatians 4, here we go. Uh, we're going to read through this, and if you have the ability to, you're going to read in your Bible. You could read on the screen. Uh, but Paul says this, think of it this way, okay? If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up even though they, had actually, they actually own everything that their father had. You know how it is if there's an inheritance that a child can receive. Even now, there are laws that you might have in place with your will that until such and such an age, if you were to die before your child is a certain age, they do not just get millions of dollars. If Keone had millions of dollars, do you know what he would do? Who can guess? Buy a skate park or build a skate park. That is right. Now, if he managed said skate park... He could make money. So, like, okay, that'd be a pretty good investment. But Keone would probably not do it with the idea of, I'm going to manage this to make money. He would just build it to build it. The, the health insurance bills would definitely go up for him because he'd be in the hospital every other week, especially without Ashley there to be like, Keone, wait, don't do that. Um, however, I'm constantly of more of the opinion of, yeah, try that. <laughs> you know, 
uh, within reason. You know, there's certain levels of, of try that that I give him to do. But either way, you know, he was skating this week. He actually went up on the bowl. Ashley has a really great video of him, and he's, like, doing all these things really good. And then he goes up, 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 and then you see him just fall off of his board. And immediately the video stops. I'm like, you send that to the family chat. Is he okay? Right? Like, the video stopped. How am I supposed to know? How dare you as a mother turn off the video and run to see if your kid is okay? We're watching this. We're invested. But he's okay, obviously. You saw him running around. He wiped out earlier today on his heelys. He's, he's not giving up anytime soon. So this gets left for the kids, and you can understand why you might wait until your child is of a certain age. But here in verse 2 uh, says this, they have to obey. Oh, go back. Uh, they have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father has set. Now, in Jewish law and tradition, Paul's already made a mistake if you're a Jew. You're like, whoa. In Jewish law and tradition, there was an age of accountability. In Roman law and tradition, when dad said you were a man, you were a man. So Paul is already approaching to these Gentiles in the way that they understand best. And he's like, you know, that time when you have your age that the father has set for you and you become a man, you can be six years old, but if God thinks, or if your dad thinks you're a man, you're a man, right? So you get to be the adult when your parents or when your dad specifically is saying you are allowed to be a man. Now you can actually receive your inheritance. So you have to wait out, be patient, be faithful to your father, to your mother, especially in that Roman, you have to be obedient. If you're, a, if you're a born son, especially, you have to be obedient until dad says you are a man and now you have the right to go off on your own. You will be representing him and so he wants to make sure that you're representing him well. He's going to expect you, you're going to be expected to go into the military, the army. He doesn't want a wimp going into the army, especially if he was a war hero. So when he says you're ready as a man, you're ready as a man. And that's the idea here in verse 2 is that Paul's kind of bringing this up. Hey, you know these children that are going to get this inheritance of what the father has? Well, when that age is set by the father, they can now receive that inheritance. All right, in verse 3, he says, and that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. Now, as a kid, just be thinking about, like, kids on standard, and this does not change as you become an adult, but we'll just use kids because they're easier to, uh, they're easier to you know, blame or, or to cast, you know, doubt on. Anyways, so as a kid, right, if someone hits you, what do they deserve? If a kid, if you're, some kid walks up and slaps you, what are you going to do? Slap them back, right? If you hit hard, and dad would tell you, Hit them hard enough so they don't get up off the ground, right? Like, that's the important thing, right? Okay? So at the same time, though, okay, so you see you as a kid, be thinking as a kid, right? Not too tainted in the way of, of, of wanting to do things. But you as a kid, if you go up and you see something that you want and you take it, okay? If you go up and you take it, then what does that mean? Okay, you stole, but then... How do you know what the result of that stealing is? Do you, when you steal, is it now yours? If you're a kid, is it yours? Yeah, right? Okay, so within the kid's natural principle of life, I steal it, it's mine. He gets taught law, and now when I steal it, what happens? Depends on the parent, right? That is ultimately what, that, what happens. It depends on the parent. Because you might just be told to return it. You might get a slap on the wrist. Your parent might take you to the local police station and let you experience what it's like to walk toward the jail cell before finally saying, or we could just return what you just stole. Okay, so there's laws that are in place. But still, uh, this idea of basic spiritual principles of the world is like the ABCs of what we all know to be right for like this kind of idea of law. 
A lot of people give it a really special name. You've probably heard it before. It'd be called karma, right? So this basic spiritual principles of the world, a lot of people that are like kind of seeking this idea of religion, they fall on and they recognize that there are basic spiritual principles. They, most people end up giving it this idea or this name of karma. Because when bad things happen, then we expect when bad things happen to good people, that's a problem, right? So if you're good, you should receive good. And whenever you're bad, you should receive bad. Most people expect that from the world. And so these basic spiritual principles that almost, I mean, if you look anywhere, it doesn't matter if they're a believer or not believer, know God, don't know God, they end on, there are basic spiritual principles that exist. And they want to see those spiritual principles played out. So Paul is addressing these, and he says that, hey, when we were, we were like children before Christ, we were like children. We were slaves to these basic spiritual principles. I did good things because I wanted good things. I avoided bad, especially if I knew what the law was going to give me as a result. I avoided bad because I didn't want to have to suffer the consequence of my bad. That's why I did those things. Those were the basic spiritual principles. Okay? And then in verse 4, but when the right time came, which God's right time is amazing, when the right time came, God sent his son, which you know to be Jesus, who was born of a woman. Notice it says woman. There is no translation that has it woman and man. It's just born of a woman. He had a virgin birth. We know that from the Gospels. But born of a woman, and he was subject, Jesus was subject to the law when he was here, when he lived, which means he lived a life here, and he was subject to the law just like you and I are. He had to deal with it. God put him under that. Because that was a very important thing for him to be under, but and we'll see that in a moment. But he was under that law, but it was at the right time. God, in his right time, knew when to do these things. He sent him at a time when the Roman world was pretty much what you knew in the world. You could travel wherever. Um, there was this idea of peace. Romans brought in this peace, so you didn't have nations warring against nations. Whenever Jesus came, his fame and what he was doing constantly spread from city to city. Oh man, we were in Jerusalem and we heard about this Jesus. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've got this guy that's up in Samaria and he's like, hey, did you hear about this Jesus in, in, in Jerusalem? And, and then it goes on and now you've got someone maybe in minor Asia, uh, uh, you know, moving on. And then all of a sudden it's getting over to Rome and, it's, and now the Christians are starting to move. And, and by the time that Paul even got to Rome, there was this, this, this idea of, well, there's these Christians that worship this Jesus. And maybe his story was blown a little out of proportion or a few things were, were understood about Paul that weren't really true. Actually, reading through Acts, Paul had a moment where the, there was accusers that said, hey, aren't you that guy that started that revolt against the Roman government and you went and you were killing all these people? And Paul must have just been like, what? That, that's the rumor about me right now? Kind of cool, but that, no, it's not what I'm doing, right? So in Rome, it just spread. You could just talk, and it would go down the line. So in Galatians chapter 5, we find out that this, that Jesus, now he was under the law. They were in verse 4, but that in verse 5, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. We're different than Jesus. Jesus was born God's son. We are adopted as sons and daughters of God. So we're not the same as Jesus. There's, a, there's some that will, at times, try to put you on par with Jesus, right? There may be a religion that's out there that says that you're on par with Jesus, or that Jesus is on par with someone else. Mormons would say that Jesus and Satan are brothers. They're not, okay? Mormons would say that Jesus attained the highest, and yet you can attain the highest too. You actually could have a heaven for yourself like God. 
Don't believe me? Start reading their stuff. Just saying. It's, it's crazy what we will add to God's word in the simplicity of the gospel. And Paul is saying here that Jesus, God, was, God sent Jesus to buy freedom. And the only way he could buy our freedom was because he was also under the law. But he didn't sin. He was under the law, but he didn't sin. And because he was able to buy our freedom, we get adopted into. And that word of adoption you've probably heard before, in the Roman law, you were adopted. You weren't going anywhere. They couldn't disown you. You were truly, fully a part of that family. You received the inheritance as an adopted son. You got exactly what the kid that had to grow up and prove to his daddy and show his daddy that, Daddy, look, I've done everything you said, and now I'm, I, I, will you call me a man yet, right? When he said that you are a man, that, that's when that born son received inheritance, but the adopted son receives inheritance. There's no proving themselves. So we become able to be adopted, and I've already given it away a little bit. You don't have to prove yourself. And that might be contrary to what you're thinking right now. And it was contrary to what a lot of Christians were thinking that were Jewish in the time of Jesus. And that's why Paul is having kind of this moment with the Galatians where he's like, don't listen to this extra part of the gospel that's being brought to you. You were adopted. That means that you get the inheritance. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to become a man in your father's eyes, so to speak. You get the inheritance. Galatians chapter 4 verse 6 says this, and because we are his children, God has sent the son of or the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba Father. A lot of places translate this as maybe saying daddy. Now Alana knows how to use that word very well. Okay, my three-year-old daughter knows how to do that. When I get home, she says, Daddy, she runs to me. Okay, it's the best thing ever. Keone's like, hey dad. Alana gets more than Keone, as you can imagine, right? Like Alana wants ice cream for dinner, let's go get ice cream. Keone wants ice cream for, for dinner, hey Keone, no, right? Simple. Alana also knows that if mom says no, daddy, right? Simple. She's got it wired. She knows exactly what to do. Keone used to go, mommy, but it didn't have the same effect because daddy would still be like, no, right? But if Keone had figured out, daddy, maybe. I'd still want him to grow up and be a man and not a lie, right? All those people that don't like me for doing that. But I would have probably still told Keone no. But Alana, she gets away with a lot. She is a girl. Uh, she's got my heart. Unless Ashley says, JJ, then I say, no, Alana, right? And then we, we keep it. Uh, she's got that one. So, but Jesus is the only begotten son of God. So he gets to call out daddy, right? Automatically. But when we get adopted, we get to do the same thing. And Jesus passes that on to us. And notice that Jesus isn't like, oh, but you got to keep the same rules I did. No, he gives us the right to now call God, Abba, Father. We get to call him Daddy. We get to speak to him in a way that's endearing, and he wants us to do that. And that's why Paul brings this up. He wants us to know from the heart of God, from what Jesus is revealing to him, that that's how God wants us to approach him. With the understanding, like Alana doesn't come up to me right now expecting that if I do extra stuff, I will get these things. She just says, Daddy. And she knows it works, right? Keone, my own fault probably, still thinks, and there are times where he's like, I got to do this stuff for dad to give me these things. And I constantly have to be like, Keone, it doesn't matter what you do. Like, I'm going to give you stuff because I love you. We're going to go do these things because I love you. It doesn't matter if you finished all your schoolwork or not. It took you three and a half hours. 
but you know what? We're not going to go do that thing today. And then Ashley's shown him, if she wants to go to the skate park, we'll do school at the skate park. Why? Because we love him. And we know that he wants to go to the skate park. He doesn't have to accomplish anything to get that love, but he still thinks he does because the basic spiritual principles that are in our hearts always make us feel that way. And Paul's like, no, you don't have to do all this stuff to get this affection and love from God. The only thing you have to do is surrender to Christ. But we're going to see this as we continue to move along. Galatians 4 verse 7. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. So we see that that uh, from the slave that does not receive an inheritance but has to work very hard. We're a slave under the law. But for the child that is adopted, there is not a need to work hard. You'll receive the inheritance. Okay, so that's the basic principle that I want to get across. I want to kind of mess up the basic spiritual principle that you might have in your mind. All right, in verse 8, here we go. It goes this, before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So naturally, if you do not have God that you're trying to worship, the Lord of all creation, you fall slave to something else, and you will. And you have friends, you have family that maybe do not call the Lord God, God, but they might be a slave to something else, their job, their family, to money, possessions. They're slave to something. And so naturally, they're falling into that. I've got to live my life, and you just naturally will fall into being a slave to something. Even if you own and you're the CEO of everything, you're a slave to the IRS, right? There is someone constantly watching you. Know that you are a slave to something. And so Paul is like, you were still choosing to go into this slavery with gods that didn't even exist. You do the, uh, the crazy rain dances, right? Trying to get rain to come for your crops. So in Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, so now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? So in verse 10, and again, spiritual principles of this world, the, the idea of the ABCs. Why go back and just be a part of all that? You were free from it when you first came to Christ. You're trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. We wish you a Merry Christmas. Anyways, turning to this method elevates what we can do for God and not what Jesus did for us. Now, here's a really good idea from uh, John Calvin. I'm just going to read his quote because it was really good. And it's what every pastor thinks every Christmas season. So if we don't judge anybody, but it's in our, it, we think it. And if you've been going to church for a long time and you finally see someone on Christmas Day, you think it too. So don't call me a hypocrite, okay? You're with me. All right, John Calvin also said this. And so he was someone that did a lot with, you know, preaching and, and anyways. So check this out. Now I see, now he did this during a sermon, okay? Like, this is cool. I'm like, I wish, right? Now I see here today more people than I'm accustomed to having at the sermon, right? That's great. That's funny. We should do that on Easter. Anyways, all right, so why is it that, why is it that it is Christmas Day, and who told you this? Who even told you? You poor beasts. Wouldn't that be fun from the pulpit? Anyways, that is a fitting euphemism for all of you who have come here today to honor Noel. Did you think uh, you would be honoring God? 
Consider what sort of obedience to God your coming displays. In your mind, you're celebrating a holiday for God, or turning today into one, but so much for that. In truth, as you have been admonished, it is good to set aside one day out of the year in which we are reminded of all the good that has occurred, because it's Christ's birth in the world, and in which we hear the story of his birth being retold, which will be done on Sunday. So this is obviously a Christmas service, not on Sunday, and he's like, I'm not doing that today. I'm going to continue to preach what I was preaching. And we're going to talk about Christ's birth on Sunday if you want to come back, right? So that was fun for him. But if you think that Jesus Christ was born today, you're crazed as wild beasts. For when you elevate one day alone for the purpose of worshiping God, you have just turned it into an idol. True, you insist that you have done so for the honor of God, but as more for the honor of the devil. That's John Calvin's thoughts on it, and you know what? It's also Paul's thoughts on it. To honor any specific day, to honor any specific month, to think that there's something special about one day over another makes that day into an idol. And at the end of the sermon, we'll look at a few other things, but to honor anything is what most commentators, as I was reading through this, to honor anything other than Christ, whether it be your baptism, whether it be special time of communion, to honor anything and say that that is you honoring God by honoring that thing is to not honor God at all. It's to honor that thing. And so Paul is using this now in relation to the law. You want to get circumcised because that's honoring God? That's to honor the thing of circumcision. It's circumcision. It's not to honor God. There's nothing you can do that will bring you extra favor before God. And so Paul is saying if there's nothing that you physically can do, then why are you really doing it? And that's a question that has to be asked of the heart. And John, Cal- uh, John Calvin brings up further in his commentaries, like, yes, there'll be a lot of naysayers. There'll be those that'll say, no, that's not why I do that thing. And uh, John Calvin's like, just wait, if you're arguing with me, that's what he said. He's like, essentially, if you're arguing with me right now, it proves that you're trying to confirm what's in your heart, that you're really doing that for the sake of doing that holiday and not necessarily for doing it to honor God. So don't say anything against me yet. We've got to work through a really important part of Galatians chapter 4, okay? In verse 11, here's what it said. Paul says, I fear for you. Perhaps all of the hard work that I've been doing was for nothing, okay? Then he moves on, verse 12. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things, for I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. You did not mistreat me, when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news, but even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus himself. A lot of people believe this, that uh, this next verse, uh, um, it's going to be, My battery's going to die. There we go. Thanks, Chris. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit that you felt then? I am sure that you would have taken out your own eyes and even given them to me if it had been possible. So a lot of people believe that Paul had some sort of an eye condition, whether he got pink eye or some sort of form of pink eye, uh, something that caused it to bulge or around it to be really puffed up, uh, something to where when you looked at Paul, you were just like, 
you're disgusting, right? Not today, Paul, that you might give me a disease. Just keep on walking. I'm not going to stop and listen to you. So Paul's like, even though that's where what I look like on the outside, you didn't reject me. You still wanted to listen to what it was that I had to say. You had open hearts to receive. And so he's calling. He's like, have open hearts just like that. Because this idea of letting go of these basic spiritual principles is kind of repulsive, right? Because you want to feel like you can do something to earn God's favor. Because you do love him. And that's how you've been trained since birth. In order to receive love, you have to do. And he's like, so that's a repulsive thought. Just like my eye was repulsive, but you still receive me. Here's what I'm having to say in this. So, verse 16. Have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Okay? Verse 17 says this. Those false teachers are so eager to win you and to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They are trying to shut you off from me so that you will pay attention only to them. They're trying to add, subtract, multiply, divide, and especially... Check this out. If someone's eager to do good things for you, that's all right. But let them do it all the time and not just when I'm with you. So Paul's like, do you not see that when I show up, they go over in abundance out of their way to attract you back to them? That they don't want you to hear what it is that I have to say? I'm preaching the gospel. If I'm preaching the gospel and they're preaching the gospel, why would they want to keep you from me? You've not seen me in months, years. We should be having a fun reunion. They should be joining. They should be having fun with us. We, we shouldn't be having this church over there, that church over there. They're preaching that, and then all of a sudden they get bound out of shape because they found out you went and visited that place over there. As long as you're preaching the gospel and that's all that matters, then that should be all that matters. But yet here they are. They're, they're trying to detract from the fact that Paul has come to visit. Oh, my dear children, Paul says, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. Verse 20, I wish that I were with you right now so that I could change my tone. But at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. So um, this, I, this point that Paul makes here is kind of a moment that you would have. I'm not going to do it. But it's a moment that you would have to go back and reread everything that he just said. And he says, change the tone of whatever you just had in your mind while he was reading it, right? It's the same idea as whenever we read in the garden when God comes to the garden of Eden and Adam and Eve have just sinned and we hear him say, Adam, where are you? And you think as a dad, right, who knows what his son has just done, I'm like, Keone, get in here, right? It's got to make it clear. But can you imagine instead if we looked at it and we said, let's, let's change the tone. Adam, where are you? Adam, come on. Keone, Dude, get in here. Why'd you do that? So imagine that. That's what Paul's saying. He's like, guys, why? Why are you listening? Why are you adding? Why? Why do you want to? You were free. When you accepted the gospel, you were free. And then now as you're living, you're listening to these Jews that are coming in from Jerusalem that are Christians, and they've put it on themselves that they want to be under the law, and you're choosing that that's what you want to do? You're free. Why? He's not yelling at them. He's actually sad. He's really upset. But it's not upset in that mad sense. It's just like, guys, you're missing it. And he's hurting for them. Verse 21, tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? 
Have you studied it like I have? Is this essentially what he's saying? I was a Pharisee of the highest sect. I knew the law dot for dot. I knew everything. Do you really want to follow that? Verse 22 says this. The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons. So he's about to make a, he's about to make a connection. Scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. So there are two wives that Abraham ended up having and two sons that we, we read about. And uh, so that's going to end up being, and we'll, we'll get to the, the, I'll reference the scripture here in a moment, but check this out from uh, Charles Spurgeon. He says this, Paul's kind of talking and, and Charles breaks in, Spurgeon breaks in with this. What is God's law now? Is it not above a Christian? Is it, he says, it's under a Christian. Some men hold God's law like a rod and terror them over Christians and say, if you sin, you'll be punished with it. It's not so. The law is under a Christian. It is for him to walk on, to be his guide, his rule, and his pattern. It's for you to walk on, to be your guide. It's not meant to rule over you. Abraham had two wives. One was born, or she was a slave, as at Hagar. One was a slave. The other one was freeborn wife, we know as uh, Sarai. And so in Genesis chapter 16, again, bookmark that, I won't read it. Uh, but Genesis chapter 16, you can find this, and you can find that Abraham has these two wives. He has Hagar, gives him Ishmael, and then you have Sarai, Sarah, who ends up giving him Isaac. Ishmael is born 13 years ahead of Isaac because uh, Sarah is getting a little bit impatient and she's like, we need the promise that God has given you, right? God's promise to make your offspring many. Uh, you've had faith that he's going to make them many. We've traveled and now here is my slave, Hagar, have a child by her and I'll call him my own. And it did not work out for her the way that uh, she had intended because after a time, God visited Abraham again and said, now your wife, Sarah, will give birth to a son, Isaac. And so the child of Abraham, uh, to be a child of Abraham essentially is great, right? We sing that, uh, Father Abraham had many sons, right? You teach the kids that. And if you look at Old Testament, you might think, well, yeah, I get to join the Jewish people as being kind of this child of Abraham. But check this out. To be a child of Abraham is great, but he had two sons. Right? He had two. And you know that the Muslim nation are descendants of Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so were they. Right? You're like, wait, no, we can't have that. Right? No. Depends on which child you are. Check this out. There are two types of children of Abraham, and you can be one or you can be the other. Okay, it's not about what you're born into, and you'll find this out. Paul's about to get into that. Verse 23, the son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. The law, he decided, Abraham and Sarah, we will make a decision. Here is a new law for God. God, we are giving Abraham Hagar, and she will give him a son. That will fulfill your promise, right? There's a law. They've made it. We know that the promise is there, but we want to take care of it ourselves. That's following the law to fulfill God's promise. But, and that, what was the law? In order to have a kid, what did you have to do, right? There's a law. All right, so anyways, uh, but 
the son, check this out, but the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. There was absolutely no way that Abraham and Sarah at their old age were going to have a kid, but out of God's promise, they did. In verse 24, these two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. The Ten Commandments, along with everything else, but you might know of the Ten Commandments, were given at Mount Sinai. The people, when they left Egypt, traveled, 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 went through this, the Red Sea, continued to travel, and then all of a sudden, here they are, they come to the mountain, and God is on the mountain. He calls up Moses, and there's where we find out that the law is given. And even in that moment, the people still rebel. They still choose to worship this golden calf, because they They've not seen Abraham in a while, and the cloud with the flashes of lightning and and fire isn't enough uh, in front of them, so they begin to worship this calf, burning up gold and making a calf in the fire. And so there's this idea, people receive, though, this law, and when they receive the law, they had to answer, yes, we agree, amen, for everything that was being said. And so that is the idea of Mount Sinai, and Hagar, Paul draws a conclusion, Hagar represents this idea of Mount Sinai and the law. Now, Jerusalem, which is that current, present Jerusalem, the physical Jerusalem that exists even now to today, Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. So these people, these men from Jerusalem that are bringing the law in, yes, they're from Jerusalem, which is God's chosen area, God's chosen city where his temple is going to reside but they are still a representation of Mount Sinai. They still bring the law. That is contrary to the promise. It is all about this legal obligation. Verse 26, but the other woman, Sarah, she represents the heavenly Jerusalem. What is to come? This world's not our home. We talked about it before. You've got Magic Kingdom at Disney, right? Magical Kingdom. It's so wonderful. I love spending a lot of money to go there so my kids can scream and I can be in torment and take a beautiful picture with them at the end of the day as the sun is setting and the fireworks are going off. Woo! Magic, right? Spend $20 for a drink, you know? Anyways, insane. Bubbles. I want a bubble machine, $20. Raincoat. It's not raining. It's raining. $25, right? We got you. That's why it's got the red tag. We can change the price on a whim. Anyway, so you got this idea of magic kingdom, right? We live in it, and we want to abide by the rules. We were walking around during COVID. Great time to go to Disney, by the way. Really was, actually. Nobody was there. However, those that are not wearing their mask will be asked to leave the park immediately, right? The whole time you're walking around. It was like dancing music, kids singing, then break in. Those that are not wearing masks will be asked to leave the park immediately. You must comply. And it's like, oh, big brother. So then you'd go off in the corner and you'd like pull off your mask. <gasps> Those not wearing their masks will be asked to leave the park immediately. Oh, crap, they saw me. You know, put it back on. You knew that was going on. That's why they had to keep running the, uh, running the program. But anyway, so there's this idea of magic kingdom. God live in the laws to be in this magic kingdom. But the eternal kingdom of God is a free gift. And it's an inheritance as heirs as a son. But check this out. The other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman, and she is our mother. Now, he's talking to believers there when he says that. He's talking to these Galatian Christians. So here's a reference to Isaiah. He says, as Isaiah said, rejoice, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. 
Break into a joyful shout. You have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. And that's a reference to the fact that the law could never create true children. Couldn't create children of God. It could create children under Abraham as, yes, you're the Jewish nation, and you'd be considered the children of God as this Jewish nation. But to, but to not have to do anything, Christ coming in, to be able to have the gospel, that ability to repent through grace, and now all of a sudden, one after the other doesn't have to prove themselves at all. They're just adopted and adopted and adopted, and the children of God just continue to increase because this promise is able to be fulfilled, okay? Verse 28, and uh, you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac, but you are now being persecuted by those who want to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. Remember, Ishmael was 13 years old. Pretty easy to persecute uh, if you're 13 years old, your little brother, right? Especially if you know that he was the child of the promise. You might not like him too much, right? You're the son of a slave woman. I'm sure that he, you know, you knew that. I'm sure that Sarah looked at you a little weird. You might not have got the biggest portion on your plate, right, if she was making food. Or you wouldn't have been allowed to give, be given the biggest portion by Hagar, who would have been the slave. She would have been told, nope, you give the biggest portion to my son Isaac. Ishmael gets less, right? You would have to deal with that. But still, Eventually, Sarah's like, get out. Get Hagar out. Get Ishmael out. I don't want anything to do with them. Because in verse 30, here it is. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not, shall not, will never, will not have anything to do with the inheritance with the free woman's son. He will never be a part of Isaac's inheritance. Even Abraham, when he heard that, Comes to God, he's like, God, what should I do? God's like, Sarah just told you, but I will take care of Ishmael. It's fine. But he's not to receive any of the inheritance. He was never meant to receive any of the inheritance. You were never supposed to do it all on your own. You were never supposed to take this kind of concept of this law and fulfill my promise. I was the one that was going to do everything, and Isaac was going to receive all blessings. And he still is going to be the one that will only receive all blessings. And so there it was. Hagar and her son were kicked out. Verse 31, so dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. So there's this concept, right, of what legalism is. But legalism is not setting spiritual standards. It means that worshiping these standards and thinking that we're spiritual because we obey them. Okay? So legalism is not just simply having standards, but it's worshiping those standards and thinking that we somehow have this standing with God, this right standing with God, because we obey them. And also it means that you're going to judge another believer based off of those standards. You're going to look at them and say, well, they're not living the way that I'm living. So they must not have a relationship with God. That's a really dangerous place to go because now you just became that Jew coming from Jerusalem. Remember the Pharisees uh, and Jesus? He commended their righteousness. He even said it in Matthew. He's like, whoa, man, they're so righteous. Look at them. If you don't have righteousness like the scribes and the Pharisees, man, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's true. They were very righteous. They still weren't perfect because he still called them a brood of vipers. 
but they were very righteous. And people that would have heard that would have freaked out. They'd be like, wow, we'll never be that righteous. And that was the point. You never will be. But he also told them, hey, listen, they've received their reward on this earth because you honor them for their righteousness. So they've already received their reward. Their reward is not eternal. It's a magical kingdom reward. They get a little bit of glory, a little bit of praise, a little fireworks show at the end. They're happy. That's what they're going to get. But they will not receive an eternal reward. So there's two covenants. We're justified by the law or justified by the Spirit. Galatians, uh, well, here we go. Are you living your life with the Lord uh, under his law or under his love? Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 says this. Check this out. On judgment day, uh, actually, here we go. Let me ask you a couple of these questions. If you're baptized under the law, you were not baptized into a relationship with Christ. Because that would have been you being given baptized because it's expected, right? You read it in the Bible, you thought, oh, I have to get baptized in order to be saved. And that's not true. Baptism is kind of like this ring, right? That doesn't make me married to Ashley. I could have put it on before we got married, and I could have said, hey, we're married, we're good. Skylar got his tattoo before they got married. Still had to tell him he wasn't married to Emily yet, right? Not married yet. Got to wait. Okay? So just like that. It's like baptism. If, if I just got baptized and I said, okay, I'm good. That's not what saves you. It's not what saves you. But a lot of people fall into that, right? The idea that that saves them. If you take communion under the law, I got to take communion. If I don't take communion, then I'm not going to be in a relationship with God. That's not true. If you take communion so you can be in a relationship with God, then that means you're taking communion out of law. You're not taking out and under his love. It's not because you love him, you want to be in a relationship with him. You're just doing it because you have to. It's a law. If you're attending church under the law, you're not attending church with a, for a relationship with Christ. You're attending church because, man, if I don't get there, if I'm not there, then, oh my gosh, I've missed today. I'm a sinner. Right? Or what will they think? They won't see me. We'll miss you. But it's not going to save you. Now no one's going to show up next week. Shoot, shouldn't have said that. Oh, that'd be adding to the law. Can't do that. Anyways, or adding to, adding to the gospel. Can't do that. All right, so if you're tithing under the law, because you have to, 10%, or else we know we're watching. No, we don't. I don't know. I have no clue. We're just saying bad. Eddie doesn't know either. So don't give and think, hey, Eddie, did you see that? He doesn't know. I promise. We don't watch it. That's weird. I know. Other people do, but they don't care because we tell them not to, and we don't care, and it's what God does. You give because you want to. There's obviously good things that can happen when we tithe, right? But if you're giving because God said so, you're not doing it with the right heart. You're not giving out of a cheerful heart. You're also not building a relationship with Christ. It doesn't happen because you give. If you're sharing the gospel with others under the law, I have to share the gospel. If I don't share the gospel, God's going to judge me. Well, he wants you to. That's important. should be the most important thing in your life. But if you're doing it because you have to out of obligation, you've now placed yourself under law. You're not doing it out of relationship with Christ. If you die under the law, you won't die under relationship with Christ. So if you put yourself under the law and that's how you've been living, I'm just warning you, don't do that. I don't think that everybody in here is living that way, okay? But it's really easy to get there because the basic spiritual principles that we are born with is if I do good, good comes to me. If I do this for God, he'll bless me and honor me. And that's actually true. He will bless you and honor you when you do good for others. 
right? Jesus even kind of points that out some, like, hey, do unto others, right? Like, do good things, love your neighbor, right? You will get good things in return. Proverbs teaches that. That is basic spiritual principles of life. When we do things, good things do happen, but we're talking about a relationship with Christ. We're talking about the eternal kingdom. We're not talking about now. And if you're living for the eternal kingdom, you will come to Jesus one day, and this is what it says in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, on judgment day, on the day when it all comes to fruition, there is going to be a lot that are going to say to me, Lord, Lord. Change the tone. Lord, Lord, I'm tired. I prophesied. I cast out demons. I perform miracles, all in your name. Jesus, I never knew you. I never knew you. The law, you wanted to live under it. And because you wanted to live under it, get away from me. You who break God's laws. I never knew you. I wanted to. You were there. You had it. But I never knew you. Dude, if you want to live under the sound of the flesh, the law, you can't and you never could. You won't. And if you're trying to do that, that's why it's so hard to be a Christian. That's why it's so hard to follow Jesus. That's why whenever you stand up and you decide, do I go to church today because I screwed up? Or I screwed up this week? That's why you're thinking that. That's why whenever God says, just cast your cares before me, and you're like, I can't, because you think that it's a law that you've broken, and now you've got to answer for it or do something extra so you're not going to bother. Don't do that, because he wants a relationship. He already, he already saw you mess up. He already saw it. He's just wanting you to be truthful. And if you're not truthful, he knows you're not being truthful. But guess what? He still loves you, and he's not going to kick you out of the kingdom because you weren't truthful. It's going to kick you out of the kingdom if you were truthful because the law said you should be truthful. Go to Jesus. Just do it because you love him. Do you want to live under the son of the promise? That's a good place to be. Because I can mess up. But I'm not messing up because Jesus is a minister of sin. I'm not messing up because I get to. I'm messing up because that's just a reality of who I am and who you are. And anyone that's living like they're not, they're just a Pharisee. And you know what? Good for them. Goody two-shoes, you get your reward. I'm going to think you're a really great Christian right now. But you're going to stand before Jesus. Allow yourself to be a mess up. Be, just have that grace. Grace is there. God's already given you grace. It's what you don't deserve. Right? You're getting these blessings on a constant basis that you don't deserve. Recognize it. Mercy, one day you're going to experience that mercy. You're going to stand before God, and he's going to be like, you had a relationship with me. And you're going to say, but Lord, didn't you see me mess up? And he's going to say, yeah. Come in. It doesn't matter what you did. I just saw you mess up, and you still trusted me, and I gave you this mercy and this grace. God can, and he always said that he would. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Have faith in the Son of the promise, Jesus Christ, and experience His grace today. That's my call for you. If you've not experienced His grace, if you've been trying to live under the law, and it's a manipulative thing, that law. Satan is a deceiver. 
Oh gosh, man, he he made him he makes himself look like God all the time. Now the law is there for us to walk on, sure, because it helps us see that we can't walk on it perfectly, and we know when we can. Oh, I gotta fall before the knees of Jesus. Be I'm falling to my knees because I know I can't do this. I can't. But it does give everybody in the world the ability to walk on something, right? We have something, a basic spiritual principle, but Satan would love nothing more than to take that and to say, you can't worship God today. You can't, you got to give more. You got to give more and more because you kept doing those things. You don't have to. Under grace. Guys, catch that. Jesus would just look at you. He, read that part of Matthew when you get home again and read it. I'm telling you what, it just hit me while I was reading it. I couldn't help it. I didn't fake it. I'm telling you, I try not to ever cry. Read that part of Matthew again, just understanding, change the tone of how Jesus says that. He is not happy to watch you have to be cast into outer darkness, separated from him for all of eternity. That is not what he wants to do. He laid down his life on the cross he came and he lived a perfect life under the law, which we will never do. So he could, be, he could die. He could be nailed to a cross and hang there. The moments of his life, he knows it's over. He's already given it up and told his disciples, guys, I'm dying. This is it. I'm going to be with the Father. But I've got something to finish here. And I've got to pay my blood on the cross. I have to be strung up, strung out, beaten before everybody. And everybody's going to talk about it because it's the right time for this to happen. God set that up. And it's going to be talked about for centuries. And you guys are going to talk about it because you just are going to be so blown away when you realize that this is for you. So you don't have to be under the law. When I'm nailed to the cross and laws nailed there with me, I fulfilled it. Now all you have to do is just walk in this life knowing, yeah, the law's there. But I know you're going to mess up. That's why I died on the cross. You think Jesus would have died on the cross if he didn't know we were going to constantly be messing up? If it was just a matter of keeping the law, he would have just came in and said, guys, I'm the Messiah. Keep the law. Peace out. See you later. Well, I won't because you're never going to be able to fulfill it. But have a fun time trying. No, he didn't do that. He died on the cross. And he took the law with him. And the law is yeah, our guide. It does a good thing. We can walk on it. But it doesn't, don't let it, if it's rule, if any of it, and I'm telling you any of it, when we talked about the days, Christmas, all those things, anything that is worshipped outside of Jesus alone, that's an idol. And the law is what Paul's comparing to. He says, guys, the law is an idol. Do not fall into that. Will you pray with me? And we'll uh, sing our last song. Father, I thank you so much. Oh, man, your grace is... Is an overwhelming thing. You're a beautiful God. To give us the law is, is amazing because it's already written on our hearts. It already is something that we know that we should be doing. But Father, thank you so much for the grace of Jesus. Father, that you sent your son to die for us. Father, that he had the law nailed there with him. Father, that he fulfilled it all because I'm never going to do it. I've already broken it. Broke it this morning when I woke up and drove down US 1. Father, I thank you so much that You've given us the ability to walk in grace. Father, that we've been adopted, that we've already received this inheritance. Father, that the Holy Spirit speaks to the heart and allows us to cry out your name, Abba, Father. Father, you're such a great God of blessing. And Father, I ask that if there's anyone here that is, has yet to cry out 
Abba, Father, just knowing that the inheritance is already theirs. Father, if there's someone here that's been trying to live, but they've lived under a mixture of law and gospel, Father, they've added to the gospel. Father, if there's someone that's here that just needs to lay down and say, it's just you. If they need to believe unto you for salvation today, God, it's so simple, and I ask that you reveal that to their heart, the simplicity of it. Father, help us to take these things and share it with somebody else today or this week. Father, help us to walk in your grace and your mercy as we go. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.